Ask a VC by Ryan Floyd. Thoughts on venture capital and growing your SaaS startup. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Floyd. I'm a managing director at Storm Ventures. We're an early stage B2B focused venture fund. Welcome to the new episode of my podcast series, Ask a VC, where I give advice to you to help you grow your SaaS business. Similar, I'd be sharing with you if I was an investor or advisor on the board of your company. I originally recorded most of these episodes as videos, which you can see on my YouTube channel, Ask a VC. So as a result, please excuse any visual references in the podcast, though I don't think there are many. I hope you enjoy. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about how to think about a term sheet from an investor perspective. There's a ton of resources available out on the web to help you understand and decipher a term sheet a bit more, but I really want to give you a sense of where I see most of the issues that come up with a term sheet as we get into negotiations with entrepreneurs that we want to back. The first thing that you really ought to think about with a term sheet is that it's a non-binding agreement. You might think, well, well, why am I even getting into this then? And the reason is because you really want to summarize the principal terms in a term sheet so that when you get in a legal agreement, you don't have any major economic terms or governance terms that you have yet to really resolve. There's lots of details to work out, but you want to make sure you cover the big issues first. So it's important as an entrepreneur, if there are big issues for you, that you make sure that they're outlined in a term sheet or that an investor is aware of them because I can assure you an investor will make sure that they put any big issues for them likely into a term sheet as well. There's really only two provisions in a term sheet that are binding. Uh, That is exclusivity, so you sort of agree that you're not gonna go talk to other investors about the opportunity once you sign it. And the second one is confidentiality. Outside of those two, understand that it's not an agreement to invest but it's a understanding about terms. The first thing to really think about in terms of broad categories of the term sheet is valuation. It's probably the most critical. And so let's spend a few minutes talking about valuation and what it means. You probably hear people talk about it all the time. Oh, this company raised at X million dollar valuation. And it's pretty simple, but there are some nuances within understanding what that valuation means that it's important to really understand it as an entrepreneur. So let's talk with, well, let's first define a couple of terms. So let's start with post-money valuation. What post-money valuation means is it's whatever the pre-money, which I'll come to in a second, plus whatever new money is coming into the business. So let's say for a second that pre-money valuation was $8 million dollars and you raise $2 million, your post-money valuation would be 10. Now that seems pretty simple, right? Eight plus two, 10, post-money's 10. Ryan, what's up? It seems there's not much here. True, but it does get a little more complicated, starting with an option pool. Every company that we invest in, we wanna have some option pool available to issue to new employees. So you have options to give out to all those new hires and people that you're gonna bring in. And the way an option pool is typically expressed is a percentage of the post money. So if I was to tell you, I'd like to invest at 8 million pre, just like the example I just gave, and I'd like to have a 10% post money uh, option pool and with my $2 million investment, your effective pre-money valuation is actually 7 million. So hopefully you just followed me on that. So 10% of the 10 million post is a million dollars. So 7 million pre plus one is eight, which is kind of the the pre-money, 
plus the two million investment gets you to the 10. The reason I'm pointing this out is if you're not thinking about what the option pool is, and in addition to that, if you have notes that are converting, maybe they're converting at a discount, maybe there's some warrants that were issued for some reason, all of that collapses into that pre-money calculation. So for you as an entrepreneur, it's really important to understand not only the post, the option pool, all the things contribute to actually what that effective pre-money valuation really is for you. And it's important to understand it because you don't want to be surprised by it at the end of the day. I make one other comment. I, I get a lot of people push back on an option pool and they say, oh, we don't need 10% option pool. We only need five because this is how many people we're going to hire over the course of a year, which I can appreciate that. And you can go back and forth and argue what size option pool you need and so forth. But I would just simplify it for you. An option pool really is just a valuation discussion because it all comes in and factors into what that effective pre-money is. So if you think about it in that sense, I think it, it just simplifies everything. And so the bigger the option pool, the lower the effective pre-money, the lower the option pool, the higher uh, pre-money. And so that's worse for investors, better for entrepreneurs, and vice versa the other way. Okay, so the second big category that I think is worth talking about is the security and the type of security that people invest in. It's a little unusual in that in the U.S. It's, it's common to invest in preferred. And I say unusual only in that it's not common stock. It's not what you'd buy if you were uh, buying most stocks that are publicly traded. The reason that investors get preferred uh, stock is that there are certain rights and privileges uh, that are associated with that stock that are different than the common. One of those rights uh, is pro rata, which means that investors can continue to invest uh, against new rounds that are uh, raised uh, in the future to maintain their ownership. And that's a really precious right to venture investors that want to continue to support their businesses going forward. Another attribute of preferred is that it has a liquidation preference. And what a liquidation preference means is that if the company was to liquidate, the preferred investors will get their money back before proceeds would be distributed to common. It's typical today that it's only a 1x liquidation preference, and it's what's called non-participating, which means that me as an investor, I have to choose. Either I get my liquidation preference back or I get to participate as though I was a common shareholder on a converted basis. I can't have it both ways. There are certain stock like redeemable preferred, participating preferred. There's a lot of different flavors in which some cases you can get both your liquidation preference back and then continue to participate, but they're fairly unusual today uh, in Silicon Valley unless there's some strange situation or uh, a need for that type of security. So look for something that's non-participating preferred stock and, and that's a pretty typical right. All the rest of the rights that, are, that come with the preferred really shouldn't really concern you um, with really one, one exception, which is governance. On governance is kind of the next, the third area, I think, to really, you know, think about from a term sheet standpoint is how is governance going to be implemented in your business? So the preferred likely will want to have some say uh, at a board level in terms of how the, you know, company is, you know, run and, and, and managed. Um, and that board structure is very important for you as an entrepreneur to think about because the board, not only is it critical I think positively in terms of how it's going to make you a stronger entrepreneur, it's going to build for a stronger business. 
it's also important because the board has the right to hire and fire the CEO as well. So for you as a founder CEO, that board composition is pretty critical in terms of how you, know, you may perceive your role in the business going forward. I'll tell you that eventually, in just about every single company, founders don't maintain control of the board indefinitely. So at some point, it's likely that you're not going to control the board and that you know, there is a risk that maybe you, know, you wouldn't be CEO going forward. However, early on, I think it's very reasonable that the board ought to reflect the ownership in the business. If preferred investors, for example, are only buying 20% of the company, it'd be unreasonable that they controlled 70, 80% of the board seats in a company because it just wouldn't match to, to ownership. So these issues come up much later in the business and it's usually after a lot of stock for founders have vested as well and everyone's kind of gotten comfortable with one another. But it is important to think about early on because if you bring on an investor who controls the board, realize that that is a real risk uh, then that you can potentially run where you know there may be a, a challenge with that investor going forward that may be very hard to resolve given their control of the board. I'll make one last small note on cost. Often it comes up you know, in a term sheet. Uh, there's a term that usually has uh, the company, your company, paying for investor counsel. And a lot of entrepreneurs look at this and understandably say, well, that's crazy. Wait a second. So uh, this investment group is going to put money into my company and then I've got to pay for their legal expenses. That doesn't seem uh, fair and reasonable. There is a, there's a lot of reasons for that that are beyond the scope of the video in terms of how investors work, but it's very standard that companies pay for uh, investor counsel. It's also reasonable that those costs can be capped. So I would, wherever you are, ask what's customary uh, to pay for investor counsel and then just move on in the term sheet. It's not worth spending a lot of time negotiating this. So to pull it back up to a big picture, um, the term sheet, it's not a binding agreement. It's really agreement on principal terms. And from my standpoint as an investor, the most important things really to be thinking about is uh, valuation the most critical and there's some nuances in how that's calculated uh, particularly around option pool um, the second is really on on governance and then the third is on the type type of security and i think those are the big constructs to really be thinking about there's obviously a lot more terms and as i mentioned there's a lot of resources on the web uh, that can help with particular issues but as an investor those are the really the big ones that i think you ought to be thoughtful about when it comes to uh, looking at a term sheet that comes from an investor. I'd also tell you to, at a high level, realize that whatever terms get put into this term sheet, they're likely going to be terms that persist throughout the existence of the business. You're kind of setting up a framework at the very beginning that is going to follow you and the company going forward. And so be thoughtful about that going forward, how many directors there are in that initial round. If you have 15 directors in your A round, to exaggerate, it's going to make it really hard to continue to build that board going forward. So try to be thoughtful about that at the very beginning because you're really setting this up uh, for, for the future. And the final thing I tell you as an entrepreneur is that for me as an investor, my worst nightmare is if I was to invest in a company where the founder CEO left after you know, some short amount of time, whether voluntary or involuntary. The reason is when I invest early, it's really backing a team. And if that doesn't work out, it's a very bad situation for me. Almost certainly that investment is in trouble at that point. So founders have a tremendous amount of leverage 
that is sometimes difficult to capture in a legal term sheet that contemplates all these kind of crazy outlying scenarios, but realize that you do have a lot of control just inherently because that investor likely is coming in to back you. Thanks for listening. If you found it interesting, please subscribe. If you like it, make sure to share it with your friends. If you've got a suggestion for a topic for this podcast or even a video series, then tweet me. My handle's easy. It's Ryan Floyd, all one word. Or send me an email or even leave a comment on my YouTube channel. All right, until next time, thanks. Be safe. Thank you for listening. Visit youtube.com, ask a VC for a video version of this podcast.